crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Naktagal. We're going to go through a couple of stories today. The second of those relates to evidence of the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem that took place in the 6th century BCE over 2,500 years ago. We'll be looking at a number of stories that came out this week relating to the relating to that, just because we just passed the 9th and 10th of Av uh, back on the Sabbath and Sunday previously last week. And so we'll be discussing some evidence that has come out relating to that destruction, and then go into the Bible to see how much is written about the, that moment, that snapshot of history, a very important part, a very important time in history for the Jews, for sure. Um, before I get to that, though, I want to discuss briefly this discovery that is mentioned in summary on the biblical or BibleArchaeology.org website. This is the website that relates to ABR, who do sponsor the excavations at Shiloh, the renewed excavations on at Shiloh that is directed by Dr. Scott Stripling, who hopefully uh, we'll get on the show here in the next few weeks. I haven't asked him yet, but I'm, I'm hoping that he's going to be gung-ho to do it again since he did it last year. And we'll definitely ask him about this discovery, Horns of an Ancient Altar Discovered at Shiloh. This was written up, just a paragraph here, uh, on that website. It says this, Three altar horns were discovered during ABR's excavation at Shiloh, Israel, this season. One horn... 38 centimeters long, 23.5 centimeters wide, comprised part of an early Roman wall. So obviously this was in secondary use. Uh, this this um, horn actually was part of a wall eventually. The second horn was 18 centimeters long and 12.5 centimeters wide. And this lay about 3 meters or 10 feet to the southwest of the previous one. Horn number 3 was 38 centimeters long, 20 centimeters wide and emerged from a destruction matrix in an adjacent square. The elevations of horns 1 and 2 was virtually identical, but the elevation of horn 3 measured 1 meter lower. All three horns came from the general area of a monumental Iron Age building. And they're talking about Iron 1 here for this structure, which orients east and west. The same area yielded a, cer a ceramic pomegranate and a Tutmos III scarab in 2018. That's what we reported on here at the time. The original altar likely included four horns, like the four-horned Beersheba altar that was dismantled and placed in secondary usage in King Hezekiah's 8th century reforms. Then it goes on to write, Shiloh served as the location of the Israelite tabernacle for over three centuries, and the altar fragments may have been a part of the early Israelite cultic or religious system that operated there. A peer-reviewed article by Tom Lo Tim Lopez, Kevin uh, Larson, Mark Hassler, and Scott Stripling is forthcoming. And so, I really wish they didn't even tell us. <laughs> they just gave us a couple of paragraphs, or a paragraph and a half there about this discovery which is really interesting here you've got most likely from that time period that the the tabernacle was there an altar and these horns obviously this was part uh this is part of the, the altar that god was god designed these four horns at four corners of the altar 
and you have it would be very difficult to to locate other portions of such an altar because stones generally weren't um well the stones weren't uh carved by human hands and yet they have found the altar the horn portion of them at least three of those horns in secondary use it seems and and laying about and so we'll see what comes out from this but this is really interesting that well, this is something we would expect to find in terms of the religious worship at Shiloh to have such an altar and so uh, we'll just wait and see what comes out from the rest of this again I'll just leave a link for this uh, brief summary if you want to catch up on on uh, reading this yourself. For the majority of today's program, though, I do want to talk about another news release that came out. This was August 12th, and it's entitled Evidence of the 587-586 BCE Babylonian Conquest of Jerusalem Found in Mount Zion Excavation. This is an excavation that has been conducted, I think, by the University of North Carolina, Asheville, and um, it's just after, if you're coming towards, if, you, if you're familiar with Jerusalem geography, if you just go up from the Dung Gate, so from the Kotel, out the, the Western Wall, out the Dung Gate, and go up the hill, and then three quarters of the way up the hill before you get to the peak of Mount Zion, what's traditionally known as Mount Zion, but not real Mount Zion, uh, as we know from, uh, we know Mount Zion is more in the city of David, um, but just there up on your right, you'll see an excavation area, and that's where this this was found. They've been then excavating there for a number of years, as this uh, article goes into. And then they reported this Sunday or Monday, past Sunday or Monday, about the discovery of the Babylonian period destruction. Now, this is an event that was prophesied, an event, as we'll see, that was prophesied, that was warned about by God. It was prophesied by Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and it was written about after after the fact also that this was going to happen and specifically the bible refers to the fire that was going to ravage jerusalem we tend to talk about the temple being burned and indeed it was but if you read the biblical account it was going to be much more than just the temple it was in fact going to be the whole city was going to burn up and that's what god did uh, intend to happen uh, because at that point, those that remained in the city were the rebellious house. And many of those that, that had repented had already gone into captivity. That was part of Jeremiah's mission was to tell them what was coming. Eventually, it changed after a while because because the, the nation had passed the point of no return in the sense that Jerusalem was going to fall. But at the beginning, the, the message was Jerusalem will fall, but you can escape. You individually can escape, and that will... And us, we have a nation, could escape and come back and build if we repent and if we submit at this point to the Babylonians, led by Nebuchadnezzar. And this was just as the, the Babylonian Empire was rising to the fore. And yet, not many people did listen to Jeremiah. Some people did, and some people, a lot of people actually did. And many of those were spared. They were taken to Babylon, where they would stay for 70 years before they would return. Many of them, some of them, um, would return to rebuild from the ash. And so we're going to look at this report. Then we'll look at the Bible, what the Bible says. And then we'll just talk about some other really interesting uh, tangents and hopeful tangents as well 
um, that comes right out of this ash layer of the Babylonian destruction throughout Jerusalem. Now, I was reading a commentary on this discovery, and somebody said that, well, we haven't really found too much from the Babylonian destruction uh, in Jerusalem. And that was interesting to me because that might be true. But every excavation I've been involved in and every excavation I've been to in Jerusalem that's got down to the biblical period, you find a destruction layer from the Babylonian destruction. And you know because there's a big layer of ash, massive layer of ash. And underneath that, you normally have uh, vessels, uh, pots. Um, and even in this one, it goes on to why it wasn't just a, a localized fire that brought this down, but the actual fire itself from that 587, 586, 585, as many different dates that are given to it, destruction of Jerusalem. So please bear with me, because it is really interesting to see how the Bible describes it, how it was prophesied, and then the evidence that's coming out of the ground to show that this did indeed happen. I don't know if there's actually anyone that doesn't believe that the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, um, because there there is a quite a lot of evidence that goes into that. But it, it is interesting in terms of when you're participating in excavation, you want to find destruction layers. You want to find the the... Uh, destruction of the building in terms of uh, it happening rapidly, happening quick, so as to engulf uh, the the material culture of that people in its house, in the abode where it was used. You want to find stuff where it was used, and then you can recreate a history. Now, if a site is abandoned and it's not destroyed by fire, it's not destroyed fast. Uh, then people take stuff with them. They take their things with them. They take the important stuff. And so you can't get a really full picture of the location of how somebody lived unless you find it in some type of Pompey type, uh, uh, just quick um, destruction. And that's what you find in Jerusalem at during for this Babylonian destruction. It's quick. Uh, it happened fast. Sure, there were some people gone, definitely, but they didn't. they didn't take everything with them. There is destruction. There are things that are broken underneath the beams and the stones that fell down. And I just witnessed a Babylonian destruction layer. Not this one. It was last week. Yeah. Or the week before I went on a tour back to the Givati parking lot excavation. And there in this, in this house that was built probably a couple hundred years earlier, they have a massive thick uh, ash layer that sits on a floor. On the second, on the first story of this big building that was probably two stories, two stories high, that was destroyed just as Jeremiah prophesied. It would be, and inside that is where they found lots of lots of goodies. I guess you could call them, in terms of archaeology and what you can find. Um, but that's what they found up here, and I'm just going to read part of this article. This is the press release that was put out uh, by the University of North Carolina. It seems, uh, yes. Okay, so it wasn't Asheville, it's North Carolina, Charlotte. Sorry about that. I'll quote now uh, from this piece, and I'll leave the show notes for you, uh, this article in the show notes, so you can read it yourself. Researchers digging at UNC Charlotte's ongoing archaeological excavation on Mount Zion in Jerusalem have announced a second significant discovery from the 2019 season, clear evidence of the Babylonian conquest of the city from 587-586. The discovery is of a deposit, including layers of ash, arrowheads dating from the period, as well as Iron Age potsherds, lamps, and a significant piece of period jewelry, a gold and silver tassel or earring. 
There are also signs of significant Iron Age structure in the associated area, but the building beneath layers from later periods has yet to be excavated. So basically, they've probably discovered uh, the the destruction that goes onto the floor, but they haven't excavated underneath those floor layers yet to see, or even probably mess most of the area. That might just be partially of the area that they're down to this layer. Um, but that's that's it's archaeology takes time, so they might get to do it next uh, next season. Continuing on here, it says the team believes that the newly found deposit can be dated to the specific event of the of the conquest because of the unique mixture of artifacts and materials found, pottery and lamps side by side with evidence of the Babylonian siege, represented by burnt wood and ashes, and a number of Scythian type bronze and iron arrowheads that are typical of that period. Because of the site's location, various alternative explanations for the artifacts can be eliminated, eliminated sorry, the researchers argue. Now it quotes uh, Mr. Gibson. He's one of, I think he's the co-director, yes, uh, Professor of History Shimon Gibson. He said this, quote, We know where the ancient fortification lion ran, so we know that we are within the city. So they're on Mount Zion, and if you've, if you've been on a tour to the city of David, they'll tell you this is where ancient Jerusalem was, this is where David was, and the old city walls, they are generally New Jerusalem, and the city wasn't there. Well, that's, that's entirely true in terms of if you go to David's time, of course, but then as you get into Solomon's time, Solomon expanded northwards towards the Temple Mount area, and then the city experiences a massive uh, growth of population around King Hezekiah's time. So 200 years after King Solomon. And at that point, the city expands and the city walls expand to include the entire Western Hill, which is this area that would include the Jewish quarter today of the old city, just outside through Zion Gate, through all of Mount Zion, uh, and then the valley that goes down towards the city of David. That would all be included in the city during Hezekiah's time. And so if we're talking about the Babylonian destruction, that was 120 years after Hezekiah's time, and so or 100 plus years after Hezekiah's time. And so this, we know that um, this area in Mount Zion would have experienced that destruction because it was part of Jerusalem. So that's what he's saying. We know where the ancient fortification line ran. We are inside the city. We know that this is not some dumping area, but the southwestern neighborhood of the Iron Age city during the 8th century BCE. The urban area extended from the city of David area to the southeast as far as the western hill where we are digging. The ash deposits, similarly, are not conclusive evidence of the Babylonian evidence uh, attacking themselves, but are much more so in the context of other materials. So it's not just like, hey, we found a massive ash layer. It's the Babylonian destruction. Jerusalem was destroyed uh, quite a lot, burnt to a crisp a couple of times, uh, 600 years after this period as well. We know in 70 uh, CE. And so it, you have to find more than just an ash layer to know that you are in the Babylonian uh, dest specific destruction. Quoting Gibson again now, For archaeologists, an ashen layer can mean a number of different things. It could be ashy deposits removed from ovens, or it could be a localized burning of garbage. However, in this case, the combination of an ashy layer full of artifacts mixed with arrowheads and a very specific ornament indicates some kind of devastation and destruction. Nobody abandons golden jewelry and nobody has arrowheads in their domestic refuse. So I thought that was quite quite well put for sure. 
this is definitely part of that Babylonian uh, Babylonian destruction. Again, you, you can you can date it, obviously, from the pottery. You could date it from the carbon samples if you cared to take them from this point. You probably don't because all the pottery is so specifically dated. And then you have these arrowheads that, that started to be really in vogue during the time of the Babylonians. We see that from other excavations in Jerusalem at this time. Inside this same destruction period, we excavated Nazar area supervisor on the... Um, and the Palace of David excavations back in 2007 and 8, just on the eastern side of Jerusalem. And what we found there in our Area G, which was just above uh, Yigal Shiloh's Area G that we'll talk about a little bit later, we found a lot of these arrowheads, these Scythian-type arrowheads. And it was written about in the, the final report, Volume 1, Summit of the City of David excavations, 2005 to 2008. This is written by Elot Mazar, this article itself was actually written by uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Victor Vihil, and uh, he wrote that alongside Dr. Elot Mazar. And there's a wonderful, couple of wonderful pictures in there of these Scythian-type arrowheads that we found uh, against the, the city wall, or at least against the, the wall of the stepstone structure there. And we found about 100, 100 arrowheads inside this Babylonian destruction layer, and this was inside a, basically a dump of the Babylonian destruction. And we found a lot of the iron arrowheads as well. And so I'll make sure I leave a, a picture of that that you can get to and avail yourself of. So you can see these very beautiful arrowheads. Uh, and they're not... Um, the, we tend to think of ancient people as not being able to construct something properly, but they're, they're absolutely beautiful in the way that they're built. And of course, they had... You can't really see this, the wooden part, but you just have the arrowhead... And then the tang that comes out the back that would have would have been where the arrow itself would have been, or the, the shaft would have been inserted and then fired. And we found in, in Area G, and they probably uh, found in this excavation as well, arrowheads that were bent, had bent tips because they might have hit the wall or hit the wall of a part of a building. But these were fired by actual Babylonian soldiers 2,600 years ago at Jerusalem. And you find them inside the destruction layer. Uh, at this in in Mount Zion, you find them elsewhere as well. You, we found them, or they, they were found in the excavations of the Jewish quarter by Nachman Avigad in the seventies. Also, Yigal Shiloh found them just below Area G here, just below the the city of David, just up from the Gihon Spring. He found them, and so that's evidence as well. How did they get there? Well, they're Babylonian uh, arrowheads, or at least a type that the Babylonian use. And so we know it was them. Continuing on here, this is from the co-director, Shimon Gibson. He says this, Speaking of the arrowheads, they are known at sites outside of Israel as well. They were fairly commonplace in this period and are known to be used by the Babylonian warriors. Taken together, this evidence points to the historical conquest of the city of Babel by Babylon because the only major destruction we have in Jerusalem for this period is the conquest of 587-586. So, this is the only one we know to history, and it's the one that we that comes up around this period in excavations throughout Jerusalem. So, there, there is a match here. It's the kind of jumble, he continues, that you would expect to find in a ruined household following a raid or battle. Household objects, lamps, broken bits from pottery, which had been overturned and shattered, and arrowheads, and a piece of jewelry, which might have been lost and buried in the destruction. 
Frankly, jewelry is rare find at conflict sites because this is the sort of thing that attackers will loot and later melt down. And then he says something that's really interesting, which is great. He says, I, th- I like to think that we are excavating inside one of the, quote, great man's houses mentioned in the second book of Kings 25 and verse 9. And so he's referencing the Bible here to inform what he has discovered, which makes sense for sure. Uh, and what does the Bible say about how Jerusalem would have been destroyed? We'll take a short break, and then we're going to go to the Bible, read what the Bible actually says, and then see how the evidence that this man has discovered matches up with that, and then also go to another couple of excavation sites inside Jerusalem from the past 30 years to show also that they have found an almost identical-style Babylonian destruction. And then, as a teaser, we'll look at some of the hopeful things that are also found inside that Babylonian period destruction. We'll be right back. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. We're talking about the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem in the 6th century BCE at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian leader and his army, and the proof that has come up in recent excavations on Mount Zion and also other places in Jerusalem that support the biblical account of this history and also the, the, the Babylonian account of this as well. I just want to read a couple of portions of script of the Bible now Uh, to show you what Jeremiah said was going to happen and how he specifically mentions that it was going to be a fire that destroyed Jerusalem. It wasn't enough that the, the remnant of Judah would be taken into captivity, and it wasn't enough that Jerusalem would be destroyed. It was going to be burned. That's what the Bible says specifically. That's what God says he was going to bring upon the city specifically and for a specific reason. And there is, as, as I've said, and as we covered in the third, first half, evidence of this very destruction. This isn't conjecture. This isn't somebody making it up, some archaeologist hoping to find something that's biblically important or biblically significant. This is actual history. Go to an excavation site. I was, again, I was at this excavation site in the Givati parking lot just below the Dungate, just to the on the western uh, slope of the city of David, where they found the Nathan Malach Bulla. I was there a couple of weeks ago, and, and the archaeologist there was describing this layer that you can see right there in the cross section. A really thick layer, 20 centimeters thick, something like that, of ash. Ash. That was That's proof of this destruction that God prophesied by the hand of Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah chapter 21 and verse 8 to 10. And this is just before uh, Jerusalem was besieged. Jerusalem was besieged uh, for about a year and a half. And so we are sometime around 589 in there, uh, BCE, when Jeremiah wrote this and it was recorded. He said this, And unto this people you shall say, so this is God telling him, Thus says the Eternal, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death, 
He that abides in this city shall die by the sword, and by famine, and by the pestilence. But he that goes out and falls away to the Chaldeans that besiege you, he shall live, and his, his life shall be unto him for a prey. And so we remember in two other chapters, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 and Jeremiah chapter 25, it speaks about how that, again, you could come back. There was hope in this. The nation is going down. The city is going to be destroyed. If you leave and respond to God's prophet, you will be taken into captivity, but then they'll be, they'll, you'll be released and your sons and daughters will be released and you can come back to build this city. But if you stayed there, if you stayed in this city at this time, you would be destroyed. You would die. He goes on to write, uh, for God here, it says, For I have set my face, God's face, against this city for evil, and not for good, says the Eternal. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. So you see that the fire is specifically mentioned by God, that he was, he was bringing it. And a lot of people like to think about Jeremiah as being uh, the prophet of doom, somebody that was against Judah, against Jerusalem, when he didn't harbor, harbor those, those feelings for any personal reasons. He was a, he was a prophet of hope. The, the nation's lack of repentance was going to bring about, and their sins was going to bring about the destruction of Jerusalem. But those that would change, those that would call on God, as he says in Jeremiah chapter 29, they would have their prayers heard and they would be able to return. And even he bought that plot of land. You can see there in Jeremiah chapter 32. We'll read now Jeremiah 32. But earlier on in that chapter, it talks about him getting Baruch to help him out buy a plot of land as a, a, a piece of hope for the nation that they were going to be able to come back with their families and live on their tribal lands once again if they, if they so desired, if they did repent. That's what, the, the, that's what would happen. Jeremiah was a prophet of hope. He gave a lot of hope to the nation even as they were facing this destruction. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 28 and 29 now. Therefore says the, says the Eternal, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans that fight against this city, those firing those arrowheads, shall come and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses upon whose roofs they have offered unto Baal and poured our drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me. All these houses <clears throat> are going to be destroyed, not just the temple, and it's going to be destroyed by fire. Now, if you go over to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 24, that's a really interesting chapter because you have chapters in Jeremiah that talk about when the siege began, when Nebuchadnezzar's army laid siege to Jerusalem, began that siege, Ezekiel wasn't there at the time. He wasn't with Jeremiah. He was elsewhere. He was already taken into captivity as one of those ripe figs, the Bible calls them, these people that would be taken away and in many ways for their protection. He was away, yet God gave him a specific message on this same day that Jerusalem was besieged, chapter 24 and verse 1 of Ezekiel. And the word of the Eternal came unto me in the ninth year, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, saying, Son of man, 
write you the name of the day, even of this selfsame day. This selfsame day, the king of Babylon has invested Jerusalem and utter a parable concerning the rebellious house and say unto them, thus says the eternal God. And so this is what he was going to, God told him to do. Uh, on this very day that Jerusalem began to be besieged. And Ezekiel is a historical book that's been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think it's almost almost in its entirety. It was found up on the top of Masada. Uh, it's been it's been found everywhere. Ezekiel is a historic book, and, and it's amazing <clears throat> when you think about it. He was writing from a different location, yet it's all put together in the Bible. This is the parable that God said concerning the rebellious house. Set on the pot, set it on, and also pour water into it. Gather it into gather into it the pieces belonging to it, even every good piece, the high, the thigh, and the shoulder. Fill it with choice bones. Take the choice of the flock and pile also the bones under it. Make it boil, that the bones thereof may also be seethed in the midst of it. This is the Jerusalem Publication Society version of this scripture. And so he's got this boiling pot. He's got everything thrown inside it, all the good pieces of the bad pieces. And um, bones as well. And this, this was meant to be brought to the boil. Verse 6, Wherefore, thus says the eternal God, Woe to the bloody city. In this case, it is Jerusalem. Of course, prophecy is dual, and this is the original occurrence of it. But originally, this was referring to Jerusalem. This city, where we're finding destruction, proof of this destruction. Woe to the bloody city. Oh, man, this is God's city. This is God's city of peace. And yet, it turns to blood when God leaves it because of the sins of the people. Woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose filth is therein and whose filth is not gone out of it. Bring it out piece by piece. No lot has fallen upon it, for her blood is in the midst of her. And she set it upon the bare rock, and she poured it not into the ground to cover it with dust, that it might cause fury to come upon me and vengeance might be taken. Anyway, I'll drop down a little bit. It says, Woe to the bloody city. I will also make the pile great, heaping on the wood, kindling the fire that the flesh may be consumed, and preparing the mixture that the bones also may be burned. May be burned. That's what was going to happen to Jerusalem, as Ezekiel prophesied, as Jeremiah prophesied uh, in many places. So let's go to Second Kings chapter 25 now. This is the scripture that... Uh, Shimon Gibson was referring to when he said that this house that he's discovered might be one of these great man's houses referred to in the book of Kings. So now we're jumping forward a good year and a half, and this is <clears throat> on the, the seventh day, and then it, con- it continues, obviously, to the house of God burning on the ninth and into the tenth of Av. It says this, verse 8, Now in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem. And he burnt, burnt the house of the eternal and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Even every great man's house burned he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans that were captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem round about. So he burned it with fire. Even the great man's houses, not just the king's house, not just the temple, all the houses of Jerusalem, even every great man's house. And just reminds me, they've got a great house being burnt here. 
and then down <clears throat> in the Gavati parking lot excavation, you've got a wealthy man's house at the very least, administration building possibly. It's two stories. It's beautiful. It got burnt down with fire as well. Then if you go across the hill of the city of David to the other side and you look at the excavations of Yigal Shaloh from the early 80s, he found the same thing. He found more destruction from this period. Second Chronicles chapter 36, this was written uh, a good uh, 150 years after, the fa- after this. So this was obviously describing the history, but it was written after the fact. It says this, And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the eternal, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon, uh, that is Nebuchadnezzar, and they burnt the house of the God, house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And so again, the Bible draws attention to this specific destruction by fire, destruction by fire that was going to happen to Jerusalem. I'm going to quote now from, uh, this is Yigal Shalot's uh, final report. Well, part of these final reports, the City of David, Kedem, Volume 19. Uh, this is of the City of David. This is put out by the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, their monograph series, going back to Volume 19 now. So this is 1984. So this is just after it happened. <clears throat> and he's talking about Area G. Area G is probably one of the most famous areas, I would say, inside uh, archaeology. Um in Israel, in Israel's history, everybody knows about Area G on the stepstone structure there. That's how it's labeled if you go and visit the City of David site. And it's it's mainly focused not just for the destruction that exists there, but because of all the seal impressions and the bulle that were found there that we'll talk about briefly in a bit. This is what he says in his final report. And this is as it happened again. So this is 1984. Uh, <clears throat> it was published in 1984, it seems. So this might have been of one of the earlier seasons when they discovered these bulle. And so here is Yigal Shiloh writing, The picture of the destruction of Stratum 10, so this time period going up to the Babylonian destruction, in Area G is uniform and clear-cut. The destruction of the buildings was total. Prior to to this, there was a conflagration or a fire. The charred remains of wooden beams were found above the floors, as in this locus. During the process of destruction, some of the walls of the upper stories collapsed, filling up the space of the lower floors. And this is just like Kavati, because they found a massive beam as well inside their destruction that the second floor had fallen on. This initial debris and the subsequent debris which accumulated over it, stemming from the tumbling of remains of the upper terraces shortly after the destruction, served to preserve the walls which had not yet collapsed, mainly the western and northern walls, and all the rich finds found there. And so since you've got a two-story building and the, 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 the top story burnt down and then collapsed first, then it preserved the lower stories, or lower story, <clears throat> of, the, of the building. Most of these finds have thus been ascribed to the destruction layer, stratum 10b. These include tens of pottery vessels of all types, typical of the latest pottery phase of Iron II in Judah. The pottery finds are accompanied by scores of bronze and arrow and iron arrowheads found mainly in the burnt room, as they called it. They actually called it the burnt room. And in the house of the bulle, and which are indicative of the war atmosphere in Jerusalem on the eve of its very destruction. 
There are also iron implements such as a mason's hammers and and this other thing, I don't know what it is, uh, various stoneware and standard stone weights of all the known shekel multiples. So all the different shekel weights are found there as well. Particularly interesting are two Hebrew ostraka mentioning some names as well. And then he talks about, he goes on to talk about uh, the burnt room specifically. So there's a couple of rooms here in area G, the Buller room or the Buller house, and then the burnt room. The burnt room was so denoted because of the numerous clumps of carbonized wood and ash found on its floors. In part, the charred wood came from the wooden beams and the ceiling. We assumed that a large part of them belonged to the wooden decoration and furniture which was burned here, and this was confirmed during our examination of the charred wood in our laboratory. It turned out that several of the pieces of charred wood, the largest of which was about six meters long, were carved in a manner and with motifs generally known from the ornamental ivories of the Iron Age, such as uh, the palmette motif. Some of the more crudely worked pieces were identified as well from a local tree. The fine worked pieces are of boxwood, a tree not found locally. They may have been imported only from northern Syria or southern Anatolia. Pieces of bone and ivory inlay were also found there. So it's just really interesting reading that. You've got this luxurious house, this great man's house that has all this ornamentals carving or carvings on the wooden beams and it's burnt, burnt to a crisp. And so much so they called it the burnt room. And there adjacent to that, you have the Buller house where they found 51 complete seal impressions from this inside this very destruction layer also and so here again is is just more proof of this babylonian destruction even if you go up to the ophel excavations and uh dr elotmazar has written about this in her book about the solomonic wall you see great big pictures in there of this same destruction layer here we are we're in the southern part or we're in the eastern hill if you go further up the east uh, with the city of David, you go further up the eastern hill on the Ophel. Then you go all the way up to Mount Zion. You dig down in the dirt into, or you go into Gavati, the parking lot excavation, these four excavations, or you go into the Jewish quarter, all through ancient Jerusalem. Dig down. What are you going to find? If it wasn't removed from a later period, you will find this very Babylonian destruction layer. Total destruction. That's what the Bible said. Uh, was going to happen. That's what God prophesied would happen. And then the proof is there. The proof is there everywhere. It's not difficult to find. You can't miss it. And unlike other destruction layers elsewhere, they might be a little bit smaller. You're trying to find this this small charcoal layer. This is thick. This is total. And it reduced Jerusalem to a pile of ash. Now that is very, it can be very saddening, of course, to to read about this. I mean, um, just because it, you know that there was a lot of people, there had to have been a lot of people that were consumed in that fire that was taken, that were taken into slavery. Again, it didn't have to be that way. There was hope for a return also. But it is interesting as we excavate these areas that it's in these very layers, in this very specific destruction layer as well, that we have the most significant discoveries, or many significant discoveries, I should put it that way. If we're talking about these seal impressions of biblical personalities that are bringing the story back to life, bringing the history of Jeremiah back to life, a lot of them are found inside 
inside these these very destruction layers. If you talk about Yigal Shalo's excavation, we know of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, that's written in Jeremiah chapter 36. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah the prophet. He was a son of Shaphan or Shaphan, who was Josiah's chief scribe. And Josiah was a righteous king. And um, he totally uh, rejuvenated the, the, the Jerusalem, really, and, and the, the state of, of Judah even pushing the boundaries of the nation, getting rid of idolatry. Jerusalem wasn't destroyed on his watch. And yet we have his, well, his scribe's son. We know about him. His name was inscribed on a bullet found in this destruction layer, the Babylonian destruction layer. And then if you go across just up the up the hill a little bit, maybe 10 meters away, that's where we found uh, Gedaliah. He's one of the princes that tried to put Jeremiah to death. We've found him. Then if you go across the valley, or across the ridge, sorry, into the valley on the other side, now they find Nathan Malach, written in, in the Book of Kings, who was alive during the time of Josiah as well. All of these bullae coming out of the very destruction layer of the Babylonians, breathing life, protecting, ensuring that these seal impressions were kept to our, for our time. This very fire that consumed Jerusalem was the reason that these seal impressions were fired with fired with fire, that they were preserved. The Gedali one, especially, and even actually the Nathan Malik one, they are black. They are black from the destruction in 586. Now, we had the opportunity to feature that bulla, at least the Gedalia bulla, in an archaeological exhibit that covered the history of the prophet Jeremiah, we had that bullet seal impression, also the one of, of Jehukal, another man that tried to put Jeremiah to death. And we featured those for a couple of years in Armstrong Auditorium in, in Edmond, Oklahoma. And we produced a brochure for that exhibit that details the history of Jeremiah and the, the history of the artifacts associated to Jeremiah's life, Jeremiah's time inside Jerusalem. It, it was entitled, The Seals of Jeremiah's Captors Discovered. And so I do want to offer that that brochure to you now for free. You can go to watchjerusalem.co.il and request a copy. Just hit the literature tab, request it or download it there and then, and read about this history. Read about what archaeology has really rediscovered from Jerusalem's history from the time of Jeremiah the prophet. This is what our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, wrote at the very introduction to that brochure he said this dear visitor welcome we're thrilled to be able to share these precious precious artifacts and the remarkable history of ancient israel biblical history is a fascinating and important subject these relics bring to life the magnificence of the ancient israel under king solomon and the heartache of judah's captivity and destruction and the impressive faith and courage of the prophet jeremiah we encourage you to take as much time as you need to let this history sink in as well as the lessons it imparts. And so <clears throat> in order to uh, really follow on from that, I do really suggest that you get this brochure. All the text that, and even the artifacts themselves that were in the exhibit are in this brochure. I think it's about a 40-page brochure with photos and timelines, and it's extremely infor informative. And it really does let this history of the 9th of Av back in 586 um, BCE it makes it live. It makes it real again, as it, as it should be real. Biblical history and biblical prophecy isn't 
some weird tangential folklore created out of the minds of deceived men. That's not what the Bible is. Time and time again, we have biblical history and prophecy put side by side with secular history, and it checks out. And that's what they're finding in Mount Zion. That's what we've found for years in the city of David. And that's what we bring to life in this brochure. So please go ahead and order a copy of this. Again, I'll leave a link for you. Or you can just uh, write your emails if you want to request this to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. I'll do my best to make sure that you get a copy of this brochure. Thanks for listening today, and I'll see you again next week.